praying for gospel engagements. Today on the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leader Podcast, we're going to talk about Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. I'm here with Armin Oganesian, and I am Paul Wilkinson, adult minister, groups associate of the Brentwood campus. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. All right, we're coming to a close soon, another two weeks or so, for our disciple-making series. I think it's been a good series. I'm hearing a lot of conversations about disciple-making in the hallways of the Brentwood campus, at least, that I hadn't heard before. So it's really exciting. I think um, that's the kind of culture in which the spirit moves and gospel and life group leaders are such a crucial part of creating that culture, uh, tilling the soil, so to speak, so that disciple making becomes a standard venture, not something abnormal that we preach on every now and again, but just becomes a lifestyle for our people. I mean, we're just around lost and searching people all the time. Are we inviting them into our lives? Are we training up the young believers to learn how to study the Bible? Uh, Armin just shared with me today that uh, he was encouraging some students to, uh, to to read the Bible more. And that's disciple making. We helping people grow in faith, helping people believe and follow, live on mission and be changed by Jesus. That's that's the life to which we're called. Today, we're in Colossians chapter four, and we're really talking about how prayer is such a crucial part of the disciple making process. Uh, so, Armin, Colossians chapter four. What's your uh, theological mind have to say about it? If you think God is the one who saves and you think God ordains these conversations, it becomes almost natural to pray for them before moving out, right? So if you think, oh, God is the one who does this saving, the Spirit is the one who applies grace, I would immediately think I need to be praying for these things and petitioning him to save people. Otherwise, in my actions, I'm saying I'm the one saving. That is a great message. Uh, I I think it is a work of Satan that renders the contemporary church weak in their evangelism because we live in fear that my inarticulate message or maybe I say something that offends that somehow my delivery of the gospel isn't going to some ways keep somebody out of eternal, um, eternal presence with the triune Godhead forever. Uh, but that's the work of Satan. God yeah. tells us in Armin's right that the Holy Spirit does the converting. God does the saving. Your job is to be faithful witness. So a theology of missions, I mean, life group leaders, let me encourage you. Sometimes when I go into groups, I cheat a little bit. In that I don't always teach what the lesson is for the day. Sometimes if I haven't interfaced with a group in a long time, I just want to know what's on their hearts. Yeah. So if I'm subbing in a group, I'll just say, hey, what's going on with you? Do you have any questions you want to ask? Is there something you want to talk about? And so having be a philosopher and apologetics, they always want to talk about um, sharing faith, engaging with lost people. And I always share with them that a success is not a conversion for the believer. Yeah. That That's God's success. The success for the believer is, are we faithful to the moment in our story and in God's story? And if we've done that, we've done our part yeah. as witnesses. The, the rest is, is up to the Lord. And I can just see the faces change and 
uh, a corporate exhaling that, man, people's eternal salvation doesn't depend on me in the way I thought it did. Yeah. Nevertheless, we are called to be the instruments of people's salvation. Yeah. Like a lot of Christian life, what Paul is saying, even in gospel conversations and evangelism, it is looking not inward, but outward. Looking away from yourself and realizing I'm not the key component here. This conversation isn't about me, but it's ultimately about Christ. And praying for opportunities beforehand helps you realize that, A, beforehand, and B, even in the moment. When you pray, God, today, give me an opportunity, I when they come up, your mind immediately thinks, oh yeah, I've prayed for this. So Christ is in control and he's ordained this moment. Let me use it. And ultimately, it will be up to him. It is that the key of Christian life and in gospel conversations that I'm looking outward. It's not about me. It's not about my performance. It's not about these things. But it's about Christ and what he's done. And when you pray, it helps you realize that message in the moment and before. You internalize it. Helps you incarnate the scriptures. So here's a homework assignment for Armin. And we'll see if he can get it done mm. in the midst of all his, all his other labors. But how many times does Jesus pray in the Gospels for himself versus for others? Because he certainly does pray for himself at times. But as I'm racking my brain thinking about all the Lord's prayers, they're primarily about a bunch of other everybody else. I mean, most of his prayers are outward. Now, of course, we don't get to see into his quiet time. So when he retreats on the mountains, we just sort of get the fruit of that. But it'll be interesting to note how many times he prays externally for the world, for them, or for his disciples in particular, yeah. versus he prays for his own person. Even in the great prayer we think of for himself, which is the prayer of Gethsemane, he ultimately turns it, I don't I don't want my will to be done, but I want your will to be done, and your will has the good of others involved, so I want that to happen. Uh, so even in that prayer where we think of, take this cup away from me, it, it still, in a sense, turns back to his ultimate mission, which is to be the servant of all. The first thing I thought about when I read this text was a few sermons ago, uh, the Matthew 9 text and the end of that text, uh, verses 37 and 8. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, comes the sending after that. But it sort of it gives us the general model. Prayer, go. Prayer, go. We're never... I mean, to my knowledge, called to go without prayer preceding it, uh, whether it's praying for workers, praying for encounters, or whatever it is that we're praying for. And if we couple that text with, with John 15, we get the answer of why. <laughs> and it's one of the most frightening in a way, and that sounds weird in light of all the chaos of Revelation and <laughs> some of the other texts, but I find John 15 to be one of the more frightening texts in the Bible. And here's why. Because of verse 8, my father is glorified by this. So you want to you wanna glorify the Father? Then do this thing. You produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, of course, that's a moral life, but it's also a reproduction, bearing more fruit, producing what we ought to produce. Now you say, well, that's not that scary. Um, it makes sense. Here's the scary part is that Jesus says in verse 4, um, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, Neither can you unless you remain in me. And then he goes on at the end of verse five, you can do nothing without me. So he commands us to do a thing. 
and he commands us to glorify the Father by doing this thing we're required to do, but then he's already said that we can't do it. Yeah. It's impossible for us to do unless we're plugged into him. And that's why prayer is important. You want to be a disciple maker. You got to begin praying for opportunities and people that are welcoming you and your message into their life. And you can help them be more Christian. And then what precedes that in some ways is how are you yourself living well as Christian? So are you praying for your own sanctification? Unpack sanctification for us. Uh, It is the process in which God's grace works in you to be more like Jesus Christ. So Christ is the perfect man. I am being sanctified. I'm being made into his image through God's grace. And distinguish that from the other sanctifications. (laughs) Justification is the means by which I stand before God. So I am justified through the blood of Christ. So I am the reason I can stand before God, I have status before God, the reason I will have eternal life is I am justified by God. Sanctification is the process that occurs after justification. And it's the process in which God doesn't only save me from my sins, save me from the punishment of my sins, but he also saves me from my sins and makes me more like Christ. Yeah. And then glorification? Is the end goal, right? So in the end times, I will be glorified uh, with Christ, uh, being in his image, in- inheriting the uh, the new heavens and the new earth and yeah. reigning over them yep. as Adam should have in the first heaven. That's good. That's good. So we oftentimes in these conversations on Pray for Encounters, we emphasize the justification moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We do want to see people come justified before the Lord. But if we're not worried about our sanctification, think to that John 15. That's a sanctification text. If you want to bear fruit, more justifications, then you need to bear fruit in your own life. That is be more sanctified. So we in the church and particularly we as leaders within the church and you as teachers in the church need to be precise and accurate when we talk about salvation. Uh, Usually when we say are people getting saved, we mean justification. Yeah. But as teachers, we need to know salvation in the Bible is the process of justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's it's a work in progress, um, and we need to make that clarifying point for our people. And so as we're sanctified and become more Christ-like to make disciples, we simply help others do the same. We we walk them in the path that we have walked. Uh, That's really it. It's not—we're not asking you to be—to teach theological lectures— we're not asking you to write theological dissertations. We're asking you to have a robust theology that helps you obey the person and work of Christ and then to help others do the same. That's the kind of theology we want. Yeah. And going off what Paul saying, uh, ultimately, you don't have to be a master theologian to answer all the questions individuals have uh, on a practical note. Most individuals have questions that you are more than capable of answering either in your actions or by simple speech and pointing to Jesus Christ. By your experiences. Yeah. Uh, Most people are longing to worship something and they just need someone to point them to the creator of the heavens and earth to worship. They're already worshiping something. They just need you to be like, no, that's, that's bad. Worship this thing. It's the only thing that can give you fulfillment.
Oh, I, I got to say, like, and this goes back when we talk about prayer and evangelism and gospel conversations, like what Mike was saying a couple of weeks ago, usually when you pray, God uses you to answer those prayers. It's just, I don't know why our Lord has chosen to work like that, but it's just what he's done. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed in the morning or week earlier and the, that individual I prayed for brings up things of God to me and God's basically saying you want an opportunity here's your opportunity so it's not simply praying for the opportunity which we have to do not praying for strength in the opportunity which we have to do but then taking advantage when our Lord brings them to us we ask for them so when God brings them up use them yeah great point look at what Paul says in at the end of verse 3 uh, pray for us also that we declare the mystery of Christ. So God opens a door for us to preach Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear. So Paul is is asking for prayer to have engagements while he is trapped in prison with a very limited uh, sphere of influence. How much more than should we as a free people be asking for encounters uh, with people with whom we can share the gospel and represent Christ well? Uh, Paul's even doing it in prison. It's, it's rather stunning. He assumes he's the answer. because yeah. Why? Because he's Christian. Remember we talk about from John 4 that we are temples of God because we're indwelled by the Spirit. He assumes he is the answer, not because he's arrogant, but because he's been redeemed, yeah. because he's been justified. There's yeah. your word. And us being the answer, um, if you're a Christian, it overflows from you. If, Christ, if you're a Christian, that means Christ is the most important thing in your life. There's no other way of explaining Christianity. And if he's the most important thing in your life, you want to talk about that most important thing. You don't want to be bogged down by football, even though it's fine to talk about football and cars and right, kids man. and stuff, all that. You're getting but, close <laughs> to sacred cows. Be careful. You want when, when opportunities arise to talk about what's most important to you. It's disingenuous. It truly is disingenuous to believe in Christ and call him Lord and never talk about him. Mm. That just can't be. You, If Christ is your Lord, he's the most important thing, and we talk about what's most important. And it's okay to pray if Christ isn't the most important thing or you don't talk about it much. It's okay to pray that you do it more. Yeah. It's okay to ask for help in doing it more. It's okay to ask for power and conviction to do it more. I like the term watchful. I'm going to give you another theological term because I think it's important. Eschatological. Eschatological. Armin, what's that mean? Uh, the study of end, the end of things or end things or last things. Yeah. So this is just end, end times, what Armin talked about earlier in glorification. That's kind of our eschatological hope is that we get this glorified physical body in presence with the triune Godhead forever. I think that's what the watchful is getting at in verse 2. Being watchful in your prayers because we know that we have a hope beyond this life. Yeah. I don't think that means being watchful for encounters. However, notice... Being watchful for our hope of reconciliation with yeah. Christ, of being in right relationship with the Godhead, ought to facilitate having more encounters. Yeah. Because not everybody has that hope. And so in any time we're talking this eschatological hope, it is to affirm and assure the believer that God is working in their lives to an ultimate good, but also to compel us out to long and be heartbroken over our neighbors, our lost and searching neighbors who don't have that hope. Yeah. It ought to be a compelling message. So yeah. be watchful because it's going to change how you think about other people who are going to hell. Eschatology and evangelism are just linked. 
because that's the end goal, right? That's why we are evangelizing because all people, tongues, and tribes are going to worship the risen lamb. They're going to do that. So now the question you have to ask yourself is, am I going to be part of not only the worship, which you are, but also the bringing in of that fold of people, tribes, and tongues. That's my goal. I'm looking forward to that, is the worship of the Lamb, the risen Lamb. And that's, so now it is, am I going to be part of this coming to fruition? Is my life going to be about that end goal, or is it going to be about something else? Yeah, so how big can we make our family <laughs> that yeah. we take with us into that eschatological hope? Yeah, that's exactly right. How Knowing big? that salvation is a work of the Lord, but that we're instruments of that yeah. grace, as we're faithful to our story, as we're faithful to God's story. All right, verses 5 and 6 says that we need to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Uh, let your speech, and that's you all, this plural, let all of your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you, so they may, that you may know how you all, so the community, ought to answer each person. So notice all the implications and inferences there. One, that you ought to have answers. Two, that you are going to be engaged with the community, so it assumes that. So what we're saying is, again, back to that sanctification term, be sanctified, be conforming, not that you make it, but that you're conforming into the image of Christ such that your walk is a testimony to those outsiders and that you have the answers already within you because you've developed yourself theologically, biblically, through prayer and community and all the rest that we don't. We don't worry about it because we know the answers and the answer is Christ. <laughs> Question, how many other answers do I have to get before we get there? Yeah, that's just so good. Yeah, that's just dead on, Paul. Yeah. And you want to walk in a way when the gospel conversation comes up, when you talk about the gospel, that it has weight. You know, it's just kind of my goal is to have gospel conversations. So I want to walk in a way that when somebody asks me or they come up that – this individual is not going to be like, oh, you're just like me anyway, so why should I listen to you? Yeah, we got to be distinct. We got to look different. Um, the curse of the contemporary society is that things have never been easier for us. I would argue maybe in a gospel way because people are so desperate, but also in a technological way. And yet we claim we're busier than we've ever been. And the economics of time are staggering how much free time that we stuff full of entertainment and tasks and other sorts of things that don't really drive anybody towards that eschatological hope. Um, I shudder to think of of what the Lord's going to say to me on Judgment Day with the amount of time that I waste um, yeah. on, on any given week. On Netflix or Twitter. Or, That's right. Yeah. So so be considerate of those things. Um, and it's, it's it starts with prayer. I'm going to leave you with this Martin Luther quote. Martin Luther says this, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. We can do nothing outside of the personal work of Christ. You want to be a better disciple maker, you want to be a better disciple yourself, start with prayer. Ask explicitly for the Spirit to work in your life and conform you to the image of your Son, and then grab somebody and walk them with you on that journey and that experience. That's it. What Christ did, that's what we got before us. Armin's off to play frisbee golf. You guys have a good week.